If you have your Bibles today, we'll be in 1 Kings 21 this morning. 1 Kings 21. The title of the message is Responding When God Says No. The word no is a word that I don't think, if we're honest with ourselves, any of us like. Like the word no, it's something that uh, is a word that is used often in our lives. Uh, It is a word that at our very nature, we don't like being told we can't do something. I thought about actually putting a sign in here and don't look at the sign that says wet paint and see if how many of you look at the paint, the sign on the wall. But that is an illustration that people have used for however many. I know as a teenager, uh, as a youth pastor, I used it all the time. Um, here it's just don't look at the stained glass windows and then everybody goes and stares at them, you know. Uh, but it's, or when it's storming out, you're like, the pastor gets up and says, don't pay attention to the rain that's slamming against our ceiling. Just ignore the storm. And then all the kids are like, it's still storming out, Dad. You know, it's, when we are told not to do something, our very nature wants to do the opposite. We can all remember when we were kids and our parents asked, asked us, we asked our parents if we could do something or go somewhere and it seemed like they always said no. But the aversion reveals really to the word no does not just rest in a parent-child role. The aversion reveals itself in the work environment, the academic environment. It shows itself really in, in our Christian world in, in many different ways. I mean, for years, God blessed the, the church here with the Christian school. With a Christian school comes, what, rules and policies. I grew up in a, in a, in a Christian environment, in a Christian camp. There were certain things we weren't allowed to do even as a staff family, because of the variety of churches and and things that came in. And a lot of the things that we're told not to do aren't anti-biblical. They're just policies and stuff for the purpose of institutional involvement. But yet, how often, when we're told no about something, our first is, that is the most idiotic rule ever. And I'll be honest, there were some that are like, that doesn't make any sense. Why is it that at Maranatha I could not, go, I could not walk across the, the green space right there by the men's dorms to the main building, but yet I could go take a football and play football on the grass? It doesn't make sense to me. And then I realized it's probably because it would wear a path because people keep walking the same way and they just want to take care of their grass. It still doesn't totally make sense. So guys would just take a football to class with them and just throw the football across the grass with them. Not that that's how you respond to being told No. But we, we have all these different things that we are told no about. You know, Pastor mentioned it in his sermon last Sunday as an illustration. The new cell phone law. How many of you are still using your cell phone at a stoplight? Don't raise your hands, please. The fact is, we have been told, no, you can't do that. There's so many ways that we we have an aversion to the idea of no. And really when we respond wrongly, it really comes to the fact that it really is a center of authority, that we struggle with authority. We struggle with with someone else telling us what to do. See, this notion that the the word no is is really in our, our society has become this idea that it's almost like a swear word. You can't tell me no. You can't tell me I can't do something I can't believe something. And in many ways, even if they do use the word no, they use it with the conjunction but, 
And our world is full of compromise. We're compromising truth. We're compromising those things. We live in a world where parents are fearful to say no to their kids because they fear their kids are just going to rebel and, and go off into sin. We live in a world that this, with this notion that no has a negative impact on people and really it's an incorrect view of who God is. Scripture itself contains many instances where someone wanted something and God said no. Israel as a nation had many negative commands they had to obey. Have you, how, when was the last time you read through the law? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There are a lot of prohibitions in Scripture. Israel had a lot of prohibitions. You know, God gives us, as the church, prohibitions as well. How do we respond when God says no? Our text this morning, we're going to be looking, and, and there's a variety of, it's a narrative, and so we're going to walk through the narrative, and it's a narrative that maybe be, might be familiar with some of you uh, this morning. Uh, it's, it's an interesting story. It takes place in the life of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel during the time of Elijah. And so we're going to walk through the text. We're going to see really what this narrative is talking about. And then we'll have the truth aspects, the truth points, the principles following walking through this narrative. The first aspect of this narrative that we see is that Naboth rejects King Ahab's purchase offer. Look at verse 1. It says, Now it came about... After these things, that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is close beside my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than it, than it in its place. If you like, I will give you the price of it in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. So here we see that Naboth rejects King Ahab's offer. I would say that probably more, most of us, if, we, if someone came to us, the, just say the government came to you and offered you a really pretty penny for the vineyard that you had, that you owned, most of us in our humanness would be like, hey, that's, that's sweet, yeah, I'll take that money. Naboth here, look at how he responds to Ahab. He responds here by saying what? The Lord forbid me. So what was going on here? God had commanded Israel that the promised land, that it was really Israel was taking care of the land for God. And they were not to sell the land that they had been given. And so Naboth understood that part of the law, that, what the, that was in the law of Moses, and in, in what was commanded to them, and he rejects the king's offer. 1 Kings 16, 28 through 30 tells us really what kind of king this person that Naboth is rejecting. Ahab was not a cool guy. He was not a nice guy. 1 Kings chapter 16, 28, verses 28 through 30 says, So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son became king in his place. Now Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa king of Judah. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Ahab the son of Omri 
did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Ahab was a wicked, wicked man. Had no desire to follow God's law. He, he had no desire. He didn't care about how God, what God had commanded uh, them as Israelites to do. And this is during the time of the divided kingdom. And King Ahab was is king over the northern kingdom. Uh, while Asa was king uh, of Judah, the southern kingdom. And in many ways, not only was he himself a wicked, wicked man, but he married a woman that just continued to influence him to do even more evil. I don't know, I, I was, I gave a, I used this passage to give a devotional to the the basketball guys a couple Tuesdays ago, and I asked them how many of them had girlfriends with the name of Jezebel. And they all, they're, well, one, most of them didn't even know who Jezebel was. So then I was like, well, just hold, keep that in mind as I describe to you who Jezebel is. And then they all kind of grinned as I began going through this passage. Jezebel was not a cool person either. She's a wicked woman who hated God. Ahab was a man who hated God. And he wanted this vineyard for himself. But God was saying no. He could not have it. So how then does Ahab respond? Well, Ahab reacts negatively to Naboth's rejection. Verse 4, So Ahab came into his house, sullen and vexed, because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father's. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen that you are not eating food? So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread. Let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And we'll get to that in a minute. Ahab did not respond in faithfulness to God. He didn't respond as, as, as he should. Ahab responded by returning home sullen and vexed. The word sullen here speaks to the idea of bitterness. Now, many of us in this room have probably heard Ron Hamilton's song, The Poochie Lip Disease, Okay. My kids love that song. Honestly, growing up, I love the song too. But as I was studying this passage, it wasn't as much that he had a poochy lip disease. Ahab did not necessarily, he was mad. He was angry. He was the king of, he was the king and this guy who owned a vineyard just told him no. Now, for the average heathen king throughout history, if someone told the king no, what happened to them? They were eliminated. Okay, the king did that. And we'll get to that in a minute too. Kind of interesting to see how Ahab's character here is so distorted and messed up. With the word sullen here, he's, he's bitter. The word vexed is talking about angry. He, is, he goes home bitter and angry. See, responding, when God says no, we are not to respond in bitterness and anger. And I fear that sometimes we do that. We get angry when God says no. Looking throughout history, it seems that consistent that a bitter and angry king would have lashed out right away, but he didn't do that, which is interesting. 
which kind of goes to a little bit of his character, that he wasn't an overly strong leader. He goes home, and, this, and you could say there's a little bit of an aspect of pouting here. He goes home and says, and he laid down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. He's like, you know, I am so, he was so upset about this. He was responding in such a negative way. He was so angry, so bitter, that he just chose to go home, lay on his bed, and not eat. It kind of, likened, kind of brings a picture to my mind of someone, maybe you have ever done this. I know I have fallen guilty of this, where something happens that doesn't go your way, and you turn like, fine, I'm just, and you just walk off, and you have nothing to do with it, and you try to ignore it altogether, and, and whatever it might be. And so his wife comes in, Jezebel, his sweet, docile wife, comes home and says, his wife came to him and said to him, how is it that your spirit is so sullen, it's so bitter and angry that you're not eating food? And so he said to her, so now he starts complaining to his wife. He starts whining and complaining about what God had said no to him. He says, give me your, and so he relates what Naboth did. Now this sweet wife of his responds to Ahab's reaction with deception and murder. So Jezebel, at the end of verse 7, says, his wife says to him, do you now reign over Israel? He's like, Ahab, hello, don't you know you're the king of Israel? Why are you laying here on the bed? You have the authority to just take it. Now, I think in the back of Ahab's mind, he knew, he knew who the Lord was. He knew that. And I can't, it's not in the Scripture, so I don't want to read into Scripture what's not there, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's a part in the back of his mind, in the back of his head, that if I go against this personally, there's going to be consequences. But what, is he, what he doesn't realize is he's still going against God, and he's still acting out against God. And by what he allows Jezebel, his wife, to do on his behalf is just as bad. So Jezebel says, hey, cheer up, man. Cheer up, hubby. I don't think he, she probably said it like that, but cheer up. You're going to get Naboth's vineyard. I'll take care of it. So what does she do? Jezebel showed herself as a master manipulator in a couple different ways in this narrative. It says Jezebel's wife came to, so he came and says, uh, verse 8, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and sealed them with his seal, and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. So first of all, she's using authority that's not truly hers. She's deceiving these leaders in Jezreel, and what does he? What does she put in this letter? It says now she wrote in the letter saying, "Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the of the people." So she even starts to turn it into this religious aspect of things. Get Naboth and everyone, declare a fast, and Naboth at the head of the people, and seat two worthless men before him, and let them testify against him, saying, you cursed God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. Nice lady. She tells these, so the, the elders take this letter, they read it, the leaders of the, the city of Jezreel, they take it, they have this fast, they have this, Naboth comes these two worthless, I love how the scripture uses that word worthless, I, right here, it just, as I was reading this narrative again this week, it was like, 
man, they really are worthless. <laughs> In other words, they're, they, they really had no, no one probably knew them. They were kind of obscure people. And just let them lie about Naboth. So the men of the city did just that. Jezebel's manipulative and deceptive actions worked and Naboth was killed. So Jezebel comes back and we see that uh, in, uh, here in verses 11, you see Jezebel's plot come to fruition in verses 11 through, uh, down through uh, verse 15 and down into verse 16. And look at how Jezebel came and reported to Naboth. It says, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. When Ahab heard what Naboth, that, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. It's even interesting here that Jezebel doesn't even tell Ahab exactly how it happened. But Ahab doesn't ask how it happened either. It says here in Scripture he gets up and heads down to the vineyard. Well, God now comes into the picture. God relates to Elijah, Ahab, and Jezebel's judgment for their sin. God hates sin. God is not going to put up with sin. He is a holy and just God, and he will not tolerate sin. So Elijah is told by God, look at verse 17, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours." So, God is relating to Elijah what he is to tell Ahab. He's, he's giving to Elijah the judgment that he is giving to Ahab and, and Jezebel. Now, Elijah and Ahab have a history. If we were to look back in 1 Kings, Elijah came to Ahab and told him there was going to be a famine. There's going to be no rain. And so there wasn't. God, God held the rain. There was famine and things that way. And then eventually, the incident on Mount Carmel happens. And God shows himself mightier than the many prophets of Baal, the false god Baal. And, and at the end of that, it says, if we were to look, in first, I believe it's 1 Kings 19, if you look there, you see that Elijah then turns, the, the people see who God is. And they fall flat on their faces. And then Elijah goes and tells them not to let the prophets of Baal go. And the prophets of Baal are killed. Elijah then is told by God to go and look at the clouds. And there's a cloud coming. And so he goes and tells Ahab, there's going to be rain. There's going to be rain coming. And I'm paraphrasing a lot of narrative right now. And this is, a, as a kid, I loved this part of the story. I would have wished I could have actually been there to see this happen. 
God gives, a, not Ahab, but Elijah, some amazing power, the power of God in his life, and he outruns Ahab's chariot. Now, how many of you would have loved to have seen that? I know I would have, just as, just as a, looking at a story, seeing the story here in Scripture, and seeing the power of God there, Ahab goes and tells Jezebel all that had happened. Jezebel gets mad and puts a bounty out on Elijah's head and the other prophets. And so this is a little bit while later, and look at how Ahab greets Elijah, if you want to call it a greeting. <laughs> Verse 20, Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Now there's a nice blunt statement to Ahab. That you have done evil in the sight of the Lord. And look at, so he relates now to Ahab, the judgment of God on his life. He says, behold, I will bring evil upon you. This is what the Lord says. He says, behold, I will bring evil upon you and will utterly sweep you away and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger, and because you have made Israel to sin. Of Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, The dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The one belonging to Ahab, who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And the one who dies in the field, the birds of heaven will eat. God hates sin. I thought about just joking around. I was talking with my mom and about the message today, and I told her I was going to say, if we disobey God, we'll be eaten by dogs. That's probably not the main point that we need to have out of this text, okay? That's not going to happen. But we do see God's disdain for sin. See, when we respond wrongly to God saying no in our lives... We are sinning against God. Now, how do you think Ahab responds? Based on his character, how do you think he responds? Well, let's see how he responds. Verse 25, Surely there is no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel his wife incited him. He acted very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. It came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted and he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. Wow, what a change of course. Ahab humbles himself before God. See, when God says no to us, we need to humble ourselves and obey. And God, we see God's mercy here on the life of Ahab. And the judgment that he had Elijah tell Ahab. 
Because of Ahab's humility, God stayed until Ahab died. Now all those things came to be. The judgment on on Ahab's family, on all of that, on Jezebel. Jezebel was not stayed. (laughs) Jezebel died pretty soon after this. But God allowed Ahab's family, the judgment on Ahab and his family to be stayed until he had passed away. So we see this narrative. We see that, that God relents his judgment on Ahab until he dies. We see these things. We see this narrative and we've walked through it fairly quick. But what does that mean for us? How, how do we take this narrative and apply it? And, and when we're looking at narratives, especially in the Old Testament, sometimes there's things in the narrative that may not necessarily apply. So we need to see, what does this story tell us about God? What does this narrative tell us about who God is? What does this narrative tell us about the way we are as men and women and children? What does this say? Well, first of all, we see that here's our main truth, and I'm going to break it down a little bit as well. But our faithful and merciful God desires humility and obedience when he says no. Ahab was a wicked man. He had, had, was a life of habitual sin. In fact, we even see Ahab comes back and we see while after 1 Kings 21, he's sinning again. He's living wickedly. But as we look at this text, we see that our faithful and merciful God desires humility and obedience when he says no. What do we see in this if we break it down a little bit, first of all, we see in this text that sinners hate God and will sin. It's just a, a state, statement of fact. Sinners will sin. Nothing earth-shattering there. If you look at this story, we see what? That, that sinners sinned. Ahab, Jezebel, even though they were deceived these, these men in Jezreel. And then truth number two, not only do sinners hate God and will sin, but on the other side of that, God is a just and merciful God. God's character doesn't change. This morning, aren't you glad for God's mercy? See, God's mercy is not giving us what we deserve. We deserve hell. We deserve death. Ahab and Jezebel got what they deserved. We don't deserve life with Christ forever, for all eternity. God in His grace has given us that offer of salvation. God in His mercy desires to to show His love and compassion on us. So we see that sinners will sin. Sinners hate God. They will sin. We see God is a just and merciful God. And three, even though sinners sin, God still executes his mercy. God doesn't stop being merciful just because people hate him. God doesn't stop being a merciful God just because 
sinner's sin. See, God executes his mercy to those who humbly respond in obedience. Ahab was a wicked man and lived a life of complete disobedience. Ahab did, but at the moment of his repentance, we see God's mercy on his life. And you could say, in, in, a, in a large scale, we see God's mercy every day. That we are here today is an evidence of God's mercy. And what God had through the Mosaic law by which Naboth made his decision told Ahab no to obtaining that vineyard. Ahab went home and became bitter and angry. He sulked as he went to bed. He began to complain and ultimately was complicit in murder. He didn't respond well. He didn't respond obediently. Whereas Naboth, on the other hand, did as God had laid out in his law. Elijah obeyed God in going to Ahab and talking to him. You know, Elijah didn't have to obey. He had a choice. How many of you, if you've already confronted this guy once and told him he was evil, you're already confronted once, you know his wife wants to kill you. God, why in the world are you sending me to him again? I would have, in my mind, that's what I've been like, Lord, are you sure? Are you really, really sure? I don't think this is a good idea. But what did Elijah do? He responded properly. God was telling him no about staying put. God had something for him. We see the obedience of Elijah. Because it really comes down to, are we going to obey God? See, obedience by definition cannot be partial. You can't just partially obey. Because partial obedience is full disobedience. Obedience is not compliance, but willing and humble action according to what the authority has requested or demanded. Obedience is a matter of the heart and the mind. Ahab did not obey just like he never obeyed. As Christians, we should not live in a way that takes God, that it takes God to do something as drastic as God did here. He gave a very drastic judgment to Ahab. And you can imagine that I'm sure the history brought Ahab to this point of, of humility. You can't, probably, he probably could not get that image of what happened at Mount Carmel out of his head where God sent fire down and it burned up everything around the sacrifice, not just the sacrifice. So how are you responding when God says no? Is it in obedience? 1 John 2, 3-5 through 5 says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Obedience is evidence of true salvation. So when we are obeying God, we're, we're giving evidence of our true salvation. 
You know, I mentioned all these different things, little things in our lives where we are told no. That God providentially brings into our lives and says no. How are you responding? Ahab and Jezebel and much of the northern kingdom responded in idolatry, covetousness, false witness, murder, stealing. What about you? Do you accept God's answer and stand strong in that answer no matter the situation you find yourself in, as Naboth did? Naboth knew what was right, knew what he, what he was. It says the Lord forbade him. When God tells you no, do you stand in trust of God and obey God no matter what the situation you find yourself in? Or do you react in bitterness? Do you have really, it's, it's a harbored anger. Do you just flat out rebel? Saying, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to do what I want. I've got a better idea on how life is to be lived. This is what I want to do. Well, life isn't about you and me. As Christians, our life is not our own. We have been bought with a price. Do you compromise biblical truth to attain what you want? Do you twist what God has said no to? And you just twist it to make it appeal to you and, and, and justify in your own mind? Do you become jilted and angry? Do you just flat out ignore it? Do you try to use deception to try and go around it? As a parent, I'm, there are times where even my own three-and-a-half-year-old tries to do it. Dad says something, and within a minute, thankfully he's not intelligent enough to do it without me in the room, but he goes and says, Mommy, 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 can I do this? I'm like, Owen, I just told you no. Mommy, Mommy, can I do I'm like, Owen, no. Do you begin to listen to ungodly advice? Look at Ahab. God told him no, and whose advice did he listen to? His wife's. Now, men, that's not an, a general statement. You do need to listen to your wife's advice if it's godly. Do you fear God? Do you respond in humility? Do you see God's mercy amid your own sinfulness? When you do respond wrongly, repent. God is there in his mercy to forgive you. Do you humbly accept God's answer and live accordingly? I want to use this illustration from Acts 16, 6 through 10. Here's a positive example of how to respond when God says no. Acts 16, 6 through 10 says, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding 
that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You know, I, I asked myself this question, and I know this is a little more of a hypothetical because Scripture doesn't say what would have happened, and you know, we know God always wants to work. God has a purpose and a plan. What would have happened if Paul said no to God? As God said no to him about where he wanted him to go. Do you know what happened on that missionary trip where he went to in Macedonia? you know what city was in, is in Macedonia? Philippi. You know who got saved in Philippi? Even though they were in a horrible situation, they were in jail, but the jailer. And it wasn't just the jailer. It was his family. Here we get Acts 16.31, later in this exact chapter, he tells the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and your house. See, God wants to use you and I, but we need to respond right when he says no. God has challenged me personally through this and even through the different times of life, changing of ministries. Where do I go? What do I want to do? What does God want me to do? On a daily basis, God, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to respond? And when you say no, Lord, help me to respond righteously and humbly and say, okay, you're in control. You're my authority. May we submit our will to the Lord's will. And may we see that our faithful and merciful God desires humility and obedience when he says no. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for who you are. Lord, I pray that we would be people who respond right when you say no. In this narrative from Scripture that you had us look at this morning, we saw a lot of negative responses. But yet, we know that you are a merciful God. And when we do respond wrongly, you're there with your love and your mercy and your grace to forgive us. So Lord, I pray that we would, though, be people who respond righteously. In your name we pray, amen.